I'm just thinking what's the actual practical use of uh, of that uh, like now you have discovered that this is the region or this is how the water is structured in the body uh, or in the cells around the cells and then uh, it requires infrared energy and some heat to uh, get it structured and get it that much energy to create it but how do you even use it or how do, does the body uses it well um, so Earlier, I was talking about the book Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life, and I, I mentioned that when, when the cell goes into action, uh, what happens is the water goes from structured uh, to unstructured liquid and back again to structured. So it's a cycle that starts with easy water. Now we know it, we call it easy water instead of structured water because we know a lot more about its character. Um, so it means that when your muscle cell, for example, un undergoes contraction, the water in your cell, when it's relaxed, is easy water, and the easy water turns into uh, ordinary liquid water uh, transiently for a short time as the muscle's contracting. And when, when it's over, uh, it reverts back um, to easy water, which, by the way, requires energy uh, to go back to the initial state. So when you say, um, you know, what, what's the role of all this stuff? What does it do? Why should we care? Your cells need to be filled with easy water for them to function properly. So if you have a cell, uh, we'll take a muscle cell again, and, and it's got a fraction of the full amount of easy water, uh, it can't um, undergo the same uh, transition uh, as a cell that's full of easy water. And so it means your muscle is not functioning well, it's dysfunctional. In order to make it functional, you need to make sure it's filled with easy water because that transition, easy liquid back to easy, is central to everything the cell does. It doesn't matter whether, whether it's a muscle cell or a nerve cell or a secretory cell or a kidney cell, whatever. The principle is always the same. So. Um, the obligation for you to stay healthy is to um, to maintain uh, a full complement of easy water. That's awesome. Uh, I want to come back to the four phases of water. I know that like pretty much what we have learned uh, from our schooling, the four, uh, the three phases of water. But do you mind explaining the all f all four phases of water? I know I'm going a little bit back, but just so that everybody so can the understand. Ones the, the ones we learn about are solid liquid vapor. So the solid is ice, the liquid you know, and the vapor is uh, stuff in the atmosphere, the, uh, the water that's evaporated. So those are the standard three phases. And, and we learned that as middle school students, um, and we learn it, and, and therefore we accept it as truth because that's, it's what we've learned. Um, however, there's a problem with that because um, the water in our cells, um, you know, there's ample evidence. I've just cited one anecdotal kind of observation about cutting yourselves and, and finding the water doesn't run out. There, There's a lot of evidence that the water in the cells is different. It's it's kind of like uh, has the consistency of egg white, raw egg white. So you know what that mm, is like. Yep, yep. It's kind of like a loose gel is, is really what it is. And it's a loose gel because... Um, because it's easy water, it's structured in some way, not the way Gilbert Ling suggested, but in, in a way that I think is, is, is different. So I, I wanted to kind of touch on the fact that uh, in the school we are taught um, some of the things which are not 100% true, but because of the structure, because of uh, all the system that's in place, um, 
it, that's what we are taught. I wanted to ask you what can the school system do differently that can help students in long run and in, in their life? The schools can do something. Right now, the book is considered the authority and the teacher is considered the, uh, how should we say, the conveyor of that um, authority. And so what's in the textbooks is taught as 100% correct. Uh, it's taught as fact. If it's in the textbook, it's fact. And the teachers who teach that stuff, um, you know, they're sincere and, and, and they view that material as uh, actually as fact. So what the schools could do differently is they could convince the teachers to present it not as fact, but as current understanding, which might be true, but might not be true. And then mm. the students... Uh, the students are then encouraged um, to ask questions. And the, the problem with that, uh, you know, it sounds ideal, you know, and who could vote against that? But the problem is that the teachers don't feel qualified themselves to speak on the alternatives because because they don't know the alternatives yeah. very well. Yeah. So it, what it boils down to is you need to educate uh, the teachers um, at their core to to understand that the stuff that's in the textbook is not necessarily uh, correct. It's a, it's our current level of understanding, and you as students could challenge it if you have good reason to challenge it. So please don't accept what we're teaching you as fact, as ground truth, because it probably isn't. Um, and so, so that's, uh, that's a really that's a really good answer, and I really hope that some of the listeners and our teachers and they implement this uh, technique of yours. And I definitely, um, there's something to be spoken about the truth and the fact, like, and then getting over the fact process and like actually making sure that the students are um, taught how to learn rather than just uh, accept the fact that this is the ultimate truth. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That would be a that would be a, a genuine advance doing that. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. And then my next question to you is how can somebody be a scientist and what does it take? Uh, well, you asked me uh, interesting interesting questions. Well, if I understood myself better, I guess I could comment on that, but maybe let me answer it in a slightly different way. The people who are scientists today, who are these people? Well, a lot of my colleagues um, um, are people who have done well at the university. So you take a course in biochemistry and you get an A in the course. Um, why do you get an A? You get an A because you're pretty good at remembering, uh, memorizing the stuff that you're taught. You're, I, I would put it in the classification as being obedient. Now, of course, that's not I don't mean that's the only characteristic, but you get rewarded in, in today's educational system for being able to spout out the answer to the question. You know, and there's one right answer, and you if you get the right answer, then you give a lot of credit for it, and you, you wind up doing very well in the course. And if you do very well in the course, you you kind of think, well, maybe maybe that's a field I should go into. Right, you do yeah. well in biochemistry, so you're not going to become an insurance agent, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and 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 so so that's the way it goes. And the people who have the highest grades uh, are usually uh, allowed to enter into graduate school, where they learn more quote facts unquote uh, in greater detail. 
And many of those facts, uh, I'm sorry if it sounds pompous, but I've had enough experience to see that so many of the so-called facts don't make any sense at all uh, if you start uh, looking at them in, in detail. You know, you can kind of understand them maybe at the superficial level, and then if you dig one level deeper than the superficial level, you start running into, into questions. Uh, for example, um, gravitation. What's gravitation all about? So we learned that uh, gravitation involves masses attracting each other. The bigger the masses, the more the attraction, right? That's what that's what we're taught. That's what gravitation. Now you dig to to the level one one layer deeper, and you ask the question: Well, why do masses attract? You know, and then there's no answer. They just do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just do. Uh, and then for another example, in the field of of the structure of the atom, something that is kind of sacred. Uh, but you ask a question. You know, the nucleus is positive and the electrons are negative question how come the electrons don't collapse on the nucleus negative attracts positive we're taught that it's very basic yeah yeah exactly well yeah, okay so, i think i'm understanding what you're saying and let me rephrase my question and ask you if you were to give uh, any message to the young scientists and researchers out there what would that message be question everything hmm don't don't take for granted what what you um, what you read in the textbook as being being fact. Um, you know, uh, my favorite example of that is Lord Kelvin. You know, Kelvin's a famous name in physical chemistry, and we we talk about uh, temperature degrees yeah. Kelvin or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Kelvin, Lord Kelvin, made a famous statement. Um, uh, he said. Anything heavier than air will never fly. And then a couple of years later came the Wright brothers. So, you know, <laughs> so he uh, professed what you know you might think is kind of, think is kind of obvious, but it was wrong. It was totally wrong, and it was proved wrong in a very, very in a very simple way. Um, yeah, question everything is mm-hmm. is really what it's about because if you as a as a young scientist or an old scientist, if you build on a foundation, you assume it's correct, but the foundation itself doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You're going to run into trouble because you're, you're going to come to some conclusion, but the conclusion is, conclusion is almost certain to be wrong. Yeah. So the two, the two things that I'm getting from you is, number one, question everything, and second, find the truth so that you can have a, a valuable foundation. And the two are closely linked to one another. Hmm, I see. You have to keep digging, digging, digging uh, down to the most foundational foundation. Um, you know, because everything builds on the, on the foundation uh, that's just beneath it. And at any level, any of these foundations, anyone is erroneous, that everything that's built above it is going to be questionable. So That's a great that's, answer, uh, Jerry. And... Uh, with that, I wanted to ask you um, two last questions. Uh, the first being, is there any other exciting future field uh, that you're watching out for? Something which can be huge for humankind, which is kind of gaining traction, can be related Absolutely. to water, can be related to science or anything general? Well, I, what I know best is, uh, is related to water. So let me, let yeah. me tell you. Um, so I, you know, I mentioned to you about... 
on the charges, the the water that forms EZ water is neg- typically is negatively charged, and the region beyond is positively charged. And when you have separated negative and positive charge, you have a battery. Mm-hmm. So the water, the EZ water, and the positive charge beyond it, um, the two, the the negative EZ and the positive charge beyond, constitute a battery, and that battery can produce energy. Wow. Uh, so and and it's just infrared energy that's the ultimate uh, energetic source uh, from which this charge separation builds it comes from the sun largely and so so one of the applications that we that we have in mind we mostly study fundamental science but of course applications are ultimately interesting is um, to get electrical energy from this because we've already demonstrated proof of principle you stick you stick one electrode in the negative easy water you stick another electrode in the positive region beyond uh, and you can light a, um, a bulb well we we could light an led with that um, and and you can scale it up. So ours is simply now um, a laboratory demonstration proof of principle. But this pr- proof of principle um, can be scaled. And, and you know, there's, there, there's essentially no environmental impact because we're dealing with infrared energy, which is always there. And we're dealing with water, which there's uh, plenty of. And so ultimately, this, um, you might say, technology built from this fundamental science could solve a really serious world problem. Yeah, getting totally. energy. So that that's one. Um, uh, a second, a second one is uh, desalination. Um, so uh, we got a lot of salt water in our in our ocean, and yeah. with the, wouldn't it be cool if if you if you could take the salt water, pull out the salt, leaving leaving the water, um, and um, and 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 do that in a in a way that has essentially no energetic cost? So you can do it now with reverse osmosis. It works pretty well, but the amount of energy that you need to put in to make it work is huge. So so reverse osmosis is um, is prevalent in Saudi Arabia and places like that, which, which have uh, um, no, essentially no drinking water. So they have to get it by through desalination. But imagine if you can get it without expending all of, uh, of that energy, uh, using all of that oil uh, or gas or whatever to make it work. And, and we think we can in the same way that I mentioned to you about using the easy to get solute free uh, water mm-hmm. because all the water all the solutes are excluded yeah because um, you can they, so, it can automatically filter right yeah they automatically filter but uh, the same thing it looks as though the same is possible with salt you think of the salt as a contaminant of course it's not a contaminant but consider it as such and you can separate therefore separate the salt from the water and we have preliminary evidence that you can do that wow so, that if that happens better, jerry that's gonna be huge and uh, it's so much benefit to humanity uh, if that happens i think it can be done it needs it needs uh, a little bit more uh, fundamental research and uh, to answer a few technical few issues uh, and once those those technical issues are solved these uh, 
these technical advances uh, could change the world in a major way. I mean, producing yeah. drinking water out of the ocean and producing electricity from water, those are major. Exactly. So, I mean, think yeah. of like how much water is out there and how much is just drinkable water. And like there are so many countries like, for example, India, where I'm from and Africa, like continent as in general is suffering from water scarcity. I mean, you can solve that big uh, issue right there with this. I think it's solvable. Um, I, I, it needs it needs support and investment. It needs first support for the fundamental science that still needs to be done um, to work out those technical issues. And we're prepared to do that if you know if we receive the funding. We can't do anything without funding. We have totally. some funding, but but in order to to bring it to the needed level we we need substantially more and then we're not interested in making money this is what the satisfaction comes from from revealing the 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 fundamentals of nature and how they work on the mm-hmm. other hand you know we have an eye toward practicality and the world has so many problems if we can if we can just solve a few of the environmental problems of, like you know, getting drinking water from the ocean, separating out all of the junk that's in our waters uh, to make our waters drinkable. That, that's another uh, issue that's in, you know, kind of in the same realm as separating out the salt. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, Jerry, I think we're running out of time. And uh, oh, okay. this has been great. I just wanted to hear, like, have just ask one last question. If you were to just give any... Uh, any piece of advice to all the young ones who are in their 20s starting off in their career or just pursuing um, any jobs uh, what would that message uh, what would that advice be the message is that um, the satisfaction that you could get from uncovering a truth in nature is is just overwhelming uh, um, you know the the sense of discovery of discovering something that's actually truthful mm-hmm. rather than you know repeating what's in the textbook or dotting the i's and crossing the t's uh, the the satisfaction and pleasure that you get from that aha moment this is how it works is amazing to people out out there um you know who um who uh, would like to do that especially people uh, People who who have no uh, no no problem challenging authority, uh, which is really what you need to do, because because the uh, prevailing point of view represents a kind of authority, so to speak. It's mm. what it's what the towering scientists have taught us, and if you have the guts to um, to be able to challenge that, um, then absolutely go into science because the rewards are uh, unbelievable. Yeah. So. That's my message. <laughs> That's awesome, Jerry. And this has been eye-opening discussion for me about the water, about the fourth phase, about your life experience and um, and advices that you have given. And I really appreciate you sharing that wisdom with us. Well, thank you very much for having me on your on your podcast. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for watching the show. Stay tuned for more episodes. Take care and ciao.